because not every province has vaccine mandates for schools. Oh, um, is it Alberta? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we're really yeah. picking on Alberta. I'm starting to feel bad. I was going to say, yeah, it's Alberta. <laughs> Welcome to episode 55 of the Humanist Agenda podcast. My name is Kenny. I'm Sherry. And I'm Rory. And we're back for another episode. And we heard back from our wonderful Canadians on the election <gasps> results. Yes. And we get more of the same is the grand result. <laughs> Correct. If I recall, uh, Sherry, you were pessimistic and thought that the conservatives were going <laughs> to get a minority. I was. Are you glad? Are you glad about the results? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It feels a little like <laughs> meh. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, yeah, I'm definitely glad that the conservatives are not in power. Um, and I'm glad that I was totally wrong and I was hoping mm-hmm. that I was going to be wrong. But it just kind of... But how do you guys feel that um, the popular vote actually went to the conservatives? Concerning. That actually... That was actually interesting to me that actually the popular vote went to the conservatives. Yeah, so. it's, it's unusual. Like normally when I hear t- discussion of the popular vote, it's always to the effect of, oh, if we had a different electoral system, then the NDP would do so much better because look how much of the popular vote they they got. This is the first time I can recall that the conservatives had such a good showing in the popular vote that they can be you know, singing that tune of if only we had a different system, we would have been on top and we would have gained more seats. Do you think we'll hear some election reform from the conservatives now? <laughs> I doubt uh, it. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, actually, in reality, um, uh, both this election and the previous election, the conservatives won the popular vote. Did so, they? yeah. So, um and I believe in this last election, uh, they gained more of the popular vote as well. So it seems like uh, in, it's interesting that in Canada, it's the opposite in terms of <laughs> the, let's call it the left-leaning population in the U.S. tend to uh, win the popular vote, but don't actually win any power. Yeah. <laughs> while in Canada's flipped. So That's really, it's strange to me because my my mind is still set in the way of rural areas with a more sparse population are the ones who lean conservative and that the urban centers that are so dense with population are the ones who lean more to the left. So yeah, it yeah, doesn't but I, don't, <laughs> I, I, I think when, when I talk to people as well, I get, I get the sense, I mean, there's, there's one Canadian conservatives are, I think a lot different than, U.S. conservatives, right? There is a, uh, their values te- are actually quite widely different. Um, so, but I, I definitely think, based on the signs I've seen, based on the kind of people I've talked to, I mean, the, people don't view the Conservative Party in Canada as uh, equivalent to the U.S. conservatives, uh, but they definitely do view the. PPC as crazy <laughs> and but of you know concern. What's so. Interesting about the PPC is that they also got more votes this election. So not only were there more conservative votes, but there were also more PPC votes. And I think I sent you an article, Kenny, about 
um, how there were like 26, I think, ridings where it mattered that more people voted for the PPC. And it's the only thing that kept the conservatives from not getting power in those ridings. Yeah. So we will see where the uh, Conservative Party kind of swings towards. Do they uh, do they embrace the crazy <laughs> or not? <laughs> I, I don't think they, they will. Not. I don't think yeah, they will. So, anyways, it, I, I thought it was interesting that um, when I saw you know the who won the popular vote, it was just very interesting that's flipped here mm-hmm. between Canada and the U.S. Didn't Peter? That's his name, right? Peter O'Toole, the the conservative guy, or is it something else? It was something. Aaron. Aaron O'Toole. Aaron O'Toole. All right. <laughs> yeah. uh, didn't he make like a real effort to appeal to the to the more moderates, though? He Which did. Which would kind yeah. of fly against the theory of bringing in the crazies and using them as your base. Yeah. My suspicion is there. There are definitely people that didn't want the crazy to gain any power, like the loud PPC people. Um, at least that's how I felt when I went in to vote. Like the one thing that stuck out in my mind was, you know, when I'm driving around town, seeing these loud PPC people <laughs> in this corner, like on street corners, screaming and yelling. I don't know if you guys experienced this, but like uh, in my area, they were on street corners with their signs, <laughs> and that just. Uh, Rub me the wrong way. I'm just like, you are the party of crazy. And I definitely do not want you anywhere. Okay. No, no decision-making power, please. Exactly. No decision-making power. Very vocal, though. It's funny that uh, the ones with the most extreme views always tend to be the loudest. Yeah. Speaking of people that tend to have very loud voices... There are lots of protesters um, that are protesting against vaccine mandates. So uh, yes. <laughs> that's the topic of today. And um, some of our hospitals had to experience very loud protesters uh, blocking people from working or entering hospitals mm-hmm. for some odd reason. Not sure how that, I'm not sure how hospitals make. Uh, decisions about vaccine mandates because correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't government <laughs> the body that actually implements vaccine mandates? Yeah, definitely. Thinking mis- out loud, misdirected rage for sure. I feel like though it's like this emotional pull of like protesting in front of a hospital. Like a hospital has a lot of emotion attached to it, versus protesting in front of your government building has less emotion attached to it. I don't know, because you think about like those abortionist people who protest in front of the hospitals. Hospitals are just doing what they're allowed to do by the government. If you want to get change, you go to a politician. You don't go to a hospital. So I don't know why Mm -hmm. they target the hospital. Maybe it's real estate, location, location, location. Maybe it's... (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it's just a lot of emotion behind what a hospital is. I don't know. Can I also tell you what else is crazy? I had, I was driving by um, Environment Canada as well, and there were protesters there. Not, Environment you Canada. Know, I, 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 was, I was envisioning, oh, maybe they're protesting, trying to say the government needs to do more about climate change, right? Yeah. Something like that. Nope. <laughs> they were protesting vaccines in front of Environment Canada. What? 
So Wait, I'm not sure what, what the logic is. <laughs> well, you know, I don't think there's much logic in the people who want to <laughs> protest. So it does not surprise me that they just pick random locations. Yeah, I can't find the chain that connects the two of the environmentalists and the pro-vaccination No, I, I think it's just, it's a government facility. So they, oh. we, you know, they were told, oh, you know, protesting in front of hospitals is not a good thing. <laughs> you know, they have no control. So they went to the next nearest government <laughs> building, I guess. <laughs> wow. Anyways. It, it was a very odd sight when I saw that. I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're protesting the 5G. <laughs> Mm, yes, yeah. mm-hmm. the 5G. But, you know, vaccine mandates are now a thing here in Ontario. Um, I, was, uh, uh, I was a little bit, um, uh, not upset, but disappointed when first Western University, in, you know, where we are located, uh, first announced that they wouldn't mandate vaccines, but then they had to backtrack. So I was happy mm. that they finally uh, mandated vaccines. And now our city in London, Ontario, City Hall has tightened vaccine rules, meaning essentially no shot, no job. Like Mm -hmm. they are putting their foot down in terms of um, their, uh, there's obviously a period of time that people need to uh, get vaccinated. But um, if they don't follow the policy of getting vaccinated or getting exemptions, um, they would be immediately removed from active duty and discipline could include training, warning, suspensions, unpaid leave, and eventually termination. So basically the city hall has laid out their expectations for people. Um, but obviously there are people that don't like it that mm-hmm. city hall is, has put in these rules. And uh, one of the counselors uh, Ward 1's uh, Michael Van House uh, has repeatedly questioned the vaccine uh, and COVID policies, uh, including mass bylaws, vaccine rules. Um, and he basically, his quote is, uh, you know, we should not be outlawing natural immunity in favor of a drug dependency. Mm. Uh, and this is, we're basically moving into a territory of uh, medical totalitarianism totalitarianism like what <laughs> like i i don't know how vaccines are really a drug dependency isn't no. it just a no there's a lot of shots that you're, you're you're done <laughs> there's a lot of hyperbole going on there like there's nothing totalitarian about uh requiring vaccines for certain workplaces it's, it's interesting this uh that you brought this up i had a family member who is very very much anti-vax and her workplace was threatening to terminate her if she didn't get vaccinated. And so she's begrudgingly going to do it. And, you know, the end result is what we all want, but I, I don't know if I fully agree with the means of threatening people's livelihood in order to compel them to, to get the vaccine, depending on where they're making their livelihood or how they're making their livelihood for you know, jobs where you can easily spread the virus, I think you can make a case there. But if you're in a less essential type of sector, 
I I don't know. I I think but it's a weaker. Where do you draw the line on that? I think it's too gray if you go in that direction. It may be. It may be. It just it feels yeah. a bit a bit gross to to threaten and leverage uh, a person's livelihood to make them do what is essentially the right thing. And I'm, I'm with all the pro-vax people. I think that it's the socially responsible act to get vaccinated. And I shake my head at people who are taking a staunch stance against getting vaccinated. I don't like the tactics that are being employed to get there, though. So, you know, when we look at uh, Canada's uh, Charter of Rights, uh, Section 7 of the Charter, everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of the person and the right not to be deprived thereof except in accordance with the principles of fundamental justice. So, uh, you know, definitely I've heard arguments of there's a reason why the order of that is life ahead mm. of liberty. So <laughs> it, that order was very specific in terms of, um, you know, not getting vaccinated in a pandemic is a unique situation where your uh, refusal to take an action could endanger someone else's life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's uh, one of the rationales for um, putting in vaccine mandates. And vex- in my mind, uh, when people hear vaccine mandates, they think of forced vaccinations. But to me, that's I don't think that's the case here at all. No one is forcing anyone to take the vaccine, but they are definitely going to make it more difficult for you to participate in society yes. uh, if you do not get vaccinated. And uh, I, to me, it seems pretty appropriate. I mean, viruses don't care about, uh, you know, your status in society or your income, etc. Mm-hmm. And uh, ultimately, uh, we know the evidence show that vaccinations work. They keep you out of hospitals. They reduce um, uh, the rate of infections. So the, it feels like, you know, the vaccine mandates are really just incentives for you to um, then be available to participate in society. <laughs> and, you know, if you if you choose not to be vaccinated... You have that right. You can choose not to be vaccinated. It's just that you just won't be participating in, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever, going to concerts and um, going to theaters, restaurants, movies, so, all of that. Yeah, mm. those, those are not, uh, to me, I mean, those are not essential for your life. <laughs> I mean, no, mm-hmm. no, they certainly aren't. But when we talk about a person's livelihood and their ability to work, does that cross a line where you're you're no longer talking about these uh, luxury outings of going to the movie theater or dining in a, in a restaurant. You're saying your choice is you can get vaccinated or you can lose your ability to earn money and thus your ability to support yourself and live. So is it really a choice at all anymore when those are the, it, it's the same type of choices. I can go get a job for some capitalist country that I despise or I can starve to death. It's that kind of choice where it's a false choice. I don't know. What if we put it in different terms? Like I can choose not to wear clothing, 
but that <laughs> means my employer can choose not to continue to have me on their staff because I'm not wearing any clothing. <laughs> but this is even worse because by you not choosing to be vaccinated, you could, in theory, kill someone in your workplace. <laughs> yes, your nakedness is not going to be lethal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't know. You may. You don't know. You've never <laughs> seen me naked. <laughs> in theory, you know, maybe some elderly person might get a heart attack, but that's the worst that could happen. Yeah. See, this is where I'm torn, is I, I fully believe in the vaccine cause and that it's the right thing to do for a virus as lethal as COVID-19 but it, it is navigating a, a territory where you're encroaching on people's freedom to choose. And I just, I haven't fully reconciled it in my mind yet, the way it, it's been going about. But I yeah, don't. But I, I think there's still a lot of choices, right? I mean, if you were, let's, for a student, if you didn't want to be vaccinated, well, maybe you just not attend your class, you know, attend school for a full year until the pandemic is over. It, or it's true. Online, right? And that uh, or attend online. Yeah. That's a very good point, Kenny. In that, if you know, eventually COVID subsides and it, we don't have as many pandemic measures, then maybe the free riders who are attempting to not get vaccinated and you know been living on the outskirts of society maybe they can reintegrate at that point and it's not as much of a a forced vaccination as maybe i'm portraying it as at the moment yeah and i mean there, there are all these options available i mean if you're not taking the vaccine because of a medical exemption i mean the the government i feel like have put in a lot of avenues for you to uh to continue to participate in society within reason. That's I mean, fair. No, so but... there's enough asterisks that people can still earn a livelihood. I'm maybe I'm being hyperbolic at the moment and saying people can't won't be able to make a living anymore if there are enough avenues that they can take and it's just not what they would prefer then then I think it does become a different conversation. And I think that's pretty extreme as well because I know a lot of workplaces are saying if you don't get vaccinated, you have to go through an education course and then you have to be tested three times a week. Uh, so like it's making it life harder for you, but that's your choice and you can <laughs> still work here. Like that's my workplace is what they're saying is you, that's what you have to do. And you know, my favorite measure, um, I, I love when things align with incentives and my favorite example, Delta Airlines, where they will uh, basically charge all unvaccinated workers $200 a month in health premiums because it costs them $50,000 per COVID patient. <laughs> so if you do not get vaccinated, you pay a health premium just like a smoker. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I don't know. I've been talking a lot about this with my wife and we were talking about how anyone who's not vaccinated um, if you get COVID and go into the hospital, then you have to pay your COVID bill, your hospital bill, because otherwise the government is footing this huge bill for all of these people when a vaccine is available free. Mm -hmm. We're paying for it. We're paying for these COVID people. Yeah. 
Sherry, are you saying we should privatize this? Yeah. Our healthcare? That's, that's the vibe I was getting. And I'm like, no. I don't want to tread carefully no, no. here. I, 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 I know no. what you mean, Sherry, but I, I feel the exact same way. For only this case, not to privatize <laughs> healthcare. Don't take that. No, you're taking words out of mouth. <laughs> Just specifically, if you're unvaccinated, yeah. you have to pay. No, I, I totally understand your point because, I mean, the the... The lizard brain in me tells me, like, everyone who's not vaccinated should pay the price. <laughs> like, they are charging me money. <laughs> like, my taxes are going into keeping them alive because they made poor choices. But it's one of those. The universal health care doesn't work if you <laughs> then yeah. force certain people to pay. I, I was just thinking back to smoking. Are we going to start uh, charging all the lung cancer patients for their care as well? It it's a slippery, slippery ride when you start picking out and being punitive. I know, but I, I, just I understand it. that yeah. feeling. I, I totally I understand how <laughs> they should be the ones that pay the price, not me. <laughs> it's a gut reflex feeling of like you have the option. You could be doing so much more than you are. Why aren't you? Ooh, I want you to pay the price for that. Yeah, but you know, vaccine mandates aren't a new thing. So. Uh, in the early 1900s, uh, there was a smallpox vaccine mandate where George Washington in the U.S. was one of the first leaders to implement uh, vaccine mandates for all of his troops for smallpox because, you know, he didn't really want his army to be decimated <laughs> by smallpox. He wanted to keep his army alive so that, you know, uh, they could continue in a revolutionary war. Um, but... You know, cities in the U.S., like large cities where they had these outbreaks of smallpox, killed between 25-30% of people. I mean, huge number of people compared to uh, COVID. COVID's around, you know, 5% or so. Um, and health officials at that time, you know, wanted everyone to get vaccinated. And s still, many people were unconvinced that smallpox was a dangerous disease. And even with that 25 to 30 percent death rate, people at that time still felt it was a acceptable death rate <laughs> for a disease. Like, it's just really crazy to think about it. That, uh, uh, that many people were dying and pe people still felt like it was an acceptable risk and they would not be, you know, taking the vaccines. And it, governments had to step in, actually mandate these vaccines before there's actually some traction. Wow. So, and then uh, in the 1950s, uh, there were mandates for, oh, actually, sorry, there wasn't a mandate, but in 1950s, uh, there were uh, outbreaks of polio. And basically, on average, uh, 35,000 people uh, per year in the U.S. would either uh, die or um, be left with uh, paralysis because of uh, uh, the effects of uh, polio. And it was being spread by you know public settings where a lot of governments and public officials had to close down swimming pools, movie theaters in the summer because uh, you know once people started gathering, there were these uh, polio outbreaks and. One of the interesting thing about polio was there wasn't the government didn't need to actually put in a mandate because parents saw millions of children getting sick 
having to be put into iron lungs, and they didn't want their children to suffer. Like, it was the images of suffering children that basically uh, convinced every single parent to get their children uh, vaccinated. Um, so they were able to kind of cut um, uh, polio uh, paralysis from about 15,000 in 1950 down to 10 in 1970. Like, amazing that they were to cut the number of cases down. So, I mean, this is the power of, you know, when you get herd immunity with uh, vaccines, you can really kind of squash a lot of diseases. But Don't you mean herd drug dependency? Oh, yes. <laughs> Quotation, drug dependency. <laughs> yes, you're one and single shot of drug. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, we vaccine mandates aren't new. I mean, this has been going on for decades, and uh, vaccine passports aren't new as well. I mean, I have a vaccine passport for yellow fever. There are certain countries that I can't go into without this vaccine passport. So mm-hmm. it's um it's not new, and it just feels like these uh, protesters make it sound like it's some radical government uh, initiative to control the population. It must just be that it's new to them. It's the first time they've really felt the pressure of, uh, of having to be vaccinated and having to have a passport to, to prove it. Have mm-hmm. they, though? Because schools in Ontario specifically, schools mandate vaccinations. If you're not going to get vaccinated, you're suspended or you homeschool or um, I think there's an option for a religious exemption. So you have to file a whole bunch of paperwork potentially. But like you have to be vaccinated to go to school. So like this shouldn't be the first time that we are sort of, you know, we shouldn't be taken aback by the fact that the government wants to mandate vaccines because this is how we've lived all of our lives. When did we? Uh... And maybe we should be specific in terms of. I mean, the government implements it, but really, these are the recommendations of health professionals, mm-hmm. like epidemiologists, you know, doctors. They are making these recommendations. It's not, uh, you know, politicians. Yeah, it's not a political thing <laughs> to. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah, exactly. I I'm curious now. Um, when did uh, the mandatory uh, measles, mumps, rubella? vaccination start being a thing are we talking about older boomers who maybe didn't have to deal with that when did we start uh vaccine programs in schools for for that even if it is older boomers like i know people um who were not going to get vaccinated and they're not old boomers like they're you know maybe i don't know 10 years older than me yeah and I mean, just a just a little happy story to insert is that I the person I'm talking about that I know ended up getting vaccinated because she faced the reality of not being able to play indoor sports uh, without a vaccination. So she got vaccinated and she was staunchly against it this whole time. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can't play indoor sports. I just go, no big deal. Go get vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny that that seems like one of those more luxury things that uh, that would be more easily sacrificed for a lot of people, I think, playing indoor sports. 
She's like very competitive. <laughs> <laughs> so if but, she were to but face I think, I think people, people want a sense of normalcy now, right? It's been mm-hmm. a year and a half now. People want to go do things. So just get vaccinated and you can start enjoying, you know, what we used to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if you guys seen any of the photos of the protesters. I, just, I hate to say it, but there's always a certain type of people that okay. <laughs> are protesting. You, you can always tell it's a, it's a, there's always a certain look and type of people that <laughs> are there. What um, are you trying to say? And, and, I'm not going to say anything more, but, uh, <laughs> um, but also I, my favorite are the signs uh, of some of these protesters because for whatever reason, it's always these type of protesters that, apparently do not know how to spell <laughs> and and always have like grammatical errors in their signs. It's just, it's kind of hilarious to kind of look through because I'm literally just looking through and picking out where can I find the uh, spelling mistake? There is no argument, no matter how logical or sound that is not made weaker by a grammar error. <laughs> <laughs> Since vaccine mandates aren't a new thing, there are many other types of government controls that are in place in society. I was going to say, like, while... So I was looking at the uh, smoking ban. Um, while I was looking at it, I found very stark um, comparisons to the mask mandate about some of the public uh, perception of the smoking ban. Um this all kind of starts in uh, 1964, where the U.S. Uh, Surgeon General released a report that said smoking causes cancer. Um, it definitely causes lung cancer in men, probably in women. Um, and um, also, it's a cause of chronic bronchitis. So uh, that was the first time people were hearing about smoking is bad for you. Um, and at that time, around like 50% of Canadians... Uh, age 15 and up were smoking. Um, and then, um, you know, you know, now only 16% of people are smokers and that's because we put into, in this smoking ban. Um, and so what happened was, uh, 1976 Ottawa passed the first smoking, uh, bylaw restricting, uh, smoking in indoor public spaces, uh, you may not know this, but Calgary in 1988 hosted the world's first smoke-free Olympics, so they didn't have any smoking at the mm-hmm. Olympics, which is interesting. And then in 89, um, smoking was banned on domestic airline flights in Canada. I'm just picturing great. before that date, were all the athletes just smoking it up between events? Just, oh, probably. You know, really? <laughs> Everyone smoked back then. I don't know. I don't know that you'd be able to run a race after smoking a cigarette. That, that's so what I'm thinking. Know. It's like, I'm going to compromise my lungs. Now I'm going to do this <laughs> really intense athletic endeavor. <laughs> I still remember being on a plane and people were allowed to smoke. Really? Like, yeah. I remember it in I, restaurants. I remember, I remember restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. I remember... Um, I was flying to, uh, immigrating to Canada. We were on a plane. I think it was a, a Pacific flight, like we were flying over a Pacific. And I was sitting right at the borderline between smoking and non-smoking section. 
Oh. It was the worst because the smoke oh. just flowed yeah. into the non-smoking section. The section. smoke's it's not going like... to respect that borderline. <laughs> exactly. It was ridiculous. Well, that's the same thing with restaurants as well. Like, I never understood why there was a smoking section and a non-smoking section because you're exposed to the smoke regardless. Mm-hmm. Air doesn't just, like, stop in certain areas. That's... I mean, we learned it again during COVID. Air circulates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to continually be reminded of this. Yeah. But to think like 89, that's when it was banned on domestic airline flights in Canada. Like that wasn't that long ago. And you're talking about how you were on an air. I can't imagine being on an airplane with smoking like that would be absolutely the worst thing. It was the worst. Ever. It was absolutely the worst. Especially because if you were immigrating um, across an ocean, like it was probably a multiple hour flight. Like you're probably on there for like mm. 10 hours. Oh, yeah. I remember yeah. it's like smelling it for a good, you know. Uh, what 12 hours of that flight <laughs> it was jeez oh, it was bad mm-hmm. yeah and and it yeah it can't be good for i don't know any of the mechanics in an airplane like i don't think we should be lighting anything in an airplane i'm just saying i think that's maybe dangerous but yeah so that was 1989 um and then um fast forward um so 1996, Vancouver became the first city to force restaurants to be 100% smoke-free. So they they kind of started the trend, I think. Um, and uh, after that, things kind of small, snowballed from there. Um, 2004, Manitoba, New Brunswick, Nunavut banned smoking in restaurants and bars. So, so it kind of was a, a slow change. And I'm wondering if this is why it was favorable enough that we didn't see huge protests like we do now um, with the vaccine mandates and everything. Um, There were still a couple protests and things like that, but they weren't, they weren't that big. Um, And like you were talking about before, like I, like I remember as a kid, there was a smoking and non-smoking section um, when, you know, smoking was starting to be seen as, as unpopular in terms of health conditions and things like that. So we kind of, um, brought it in slowly and and did that transition slowly. So we're like, okay, all smoking now. And then, okay, only half smoking. And then we got rid of all of the rest of it. So, um, I think that really worked in its favor. Um, but what I wanted to bring up was the, the similarities that I saw between, the mask mandates, vaccine mandates, and um, the smoking ban. Uh, so these are a couple quotes, and uh, I'm just going to say them, and then we can talk about them. But um, okay, so here's the first one. A lot of my customers are French or sophisticated, and they want to smoke after a good meal. And if I don't let them, they won't come here. I have only paid the the fine a few times. So there was a fine associated with if you were caught with smokers in your restaurant. Okay, here's the second quotation. Uh, the smoking situation is one in which restaurants should be able to make the decision on their own. Um, it's an issue of choice and not one the city council should be mandating. And my last quote, who will go into a bar in which you can't smoke or a restaurant where you can't smoke? No one wants to sit around and hang out in a restaurant if you can't smoke. They will just leave after their meal and that business that would have stayed, ordered more drinks and hung out would be gone. My food, the economy would just collapse, right? (laughs) (laughs) That was the thinking. Yeah. 
small businesses would close. Everything <laughs> yep. would just fall apart. <laughs> and that's and that's exactly what uh, you know what we're hearing now is like, oh, if businesses if businesses have to mandate uh, vaccines, then they're going to lose business and stuff like that. But like people are going to get vaccinated rather than stay home, right? Like restaurants aren't going to lose business. Um, people are still going to go out to restaurants. So exactly. Yeah. I still want to go, you know, eat a meal at a restaurant and I'm going to comply with whatever is necessary to make sure I can Mm -hmm. get that meal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So restaurants and, and other businesses were worried that they would lose business. They would have to lay off their workers and things like that. And so the economy didn't collapse. Restaurants are still around. And now we don't have smoking. So I think mm-hmm. this is a positive, hopeful story that we can sort of think about when we think about vaccine mandates of restaurants aren't going to collapse. The economy is not going to collapse. We're just going to get vaccinated and move on with our lives. Mm-hmm. That's a good story. So I have a similar story to that because um, seatbelts used to be non-existent in cars. And in 1976, uh, Ontario's seatbelt law came into effect. And uh, essentially the number of people that were killed and injured in motor vehicle accidents, you know, significantly dropped. Um, between 1975 and 1982, uh, when the use of seatbelts quadrupled, uh, total fatalities declined by 40% in Ontario. So uh, lots of lives saved. Um, But there were definitely a lot of resistance, very, very similar to uh, the smoking situation. Um, (laughs) I will uh, quote, you, some people who oh, good. <laughs> uh, who, who resisted seatbelts. Um, so uh, uh, an individual, Joe Miller, don't know if he's alive today, but basically he quoted, I don't believe that anybody should tell me what the hell I have to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, other quotes, uh, essentially, um, you know, ordering people to wear seatbelts, doesn't work. Uh, a salesman uh, during that time said, I don't want to wear them. They shouldn't require them in the city. I'm in and out of the car the whole day, and they are uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so very similar to what we hear about the mask and everything else. You know, people don't find it comfortable. You know, they, uh, you know, we all heard the excuses about how they can't breathe in it, the carbon dioxide <laughs> builds up, whatever, all these like uh, misinformation. But um, in reality, because Ontario started this uh, trend, like all the other provinces, like over the next few years started to fall in line. And within the first three weeks of Ontario kind of putting this law into effect, uh, 2,500 people wrote letters to uh, the Ministry of Transportation to complain. Pretty sure that's also happening with the vaccine mandates. Uh, but it's, the province decided to mount a multi-million dollar education effort. You know, they put in advertising newspapers, in television and radio, uh, promoting the benefits of wearing seatbelts. 
Um, and eventually, I mean, look at us today, right? <laughs> um, majority of people wear seatbelts, and it's just a normal thing, right? No one really complains about wearing a seatbelt. And yeah, it's just a normal thing now. I Can you it- guys guess? Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, I just find it funny that we see these waves of, of you know, mandates that come in and people are reacting the exact same way. And yeah, yeah, for smoking businesses, we're just like not enforcing the mandate and then just taking the fine on the chin and, and then eventually they did. But like with seatbelts, people were just not wearing the seatbelt and being like, ah, oh, maybe I'll get fined, maybe I won't. And and everything kind of quiets down after some time. I think we can take some hope out of that. You know, hope that this whole mac- vaccine mandate thing is going to mm-hmm. calm down. Do you think, um, sorry, Kenny, I know you're waiting in the wings. Do you think there's some some kind of value in in the moments of outrage where people reflexively reject these new things? Does it give us some time to, you know, consider whether it's actually a good, like, Seatbelts and smoking regulations feel very natural and right now, but, you know, picture something new and unknown, whether it's good to have this time of debate and, you know, protest to decide, is it really the right thing to do to move forward? And most cases that we're talking about today, it's been yes. It costs lives in that time, though. Like, even if you think about the smoking ban, like, people are dying or were dying from secondhand smoke, even if you aren't a smoker. Um, People are dying from not wearing seatbelts. So you're costing lives in in the time it takes to to have this debate. Sure. But imagine... Yeah, not that I want to, like you know, blindly yeah, accept everything the, the government tells me to do or anything like, you know, we're yeah, in the but like, you know, smoking and smoking and seatbelts, there was a lot of time devoted to thinking about uh, putting in these mandates. I mean, it wasn't a sudden, oh, we, we know they, they knew motor accidents were killing people for decades. Right. Um, I, I, so there was definitely time to consider uh, putting in, these laws into place, the pandemic is quite different in terms of we had to move really fast. Yeah, the suddenness like, uh, of it. You're it absolutely happen, right. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Kenny, that the lead up to something like a seatbelt mandate was long and, you know, well studied by the researchers of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, when you think about the pandemic, I think we should maybe refer back to previous pandemics where it was also pretty clear that the cities that put in mandates were the ones that uh, suffered the least. Um, So uh, back in the 1918 flu pandemic, the cities that put in mandates clearly had less deaths (laughs) and less infections. Like, so with pandemics, I think we can refer back to history because Mm -hmm. we have many, many years of pandemic experiences uh, to kind of show that certain mandates to protect public health do work. Um, And so I want to uh, ask you a question in terms of the seatbelt laws. Can you guys uh, guess which province was the last holdout, the last province that (laughs) resisted seatbelt laws? Quebec. Oh, well, since you took, since you took Quebec, (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to put it on Alberta and say that they were the ones. 
It was definitely Alberta. (laughs) (laughs) That's where I was going to go, but from the last podcast we did where it was Quebec who who was, like, not happy with something. I can't remember what it was. I was going to go with Quebec. Yeah, Quebec is slow in a lot of uh, progressive social policies. So that was a fair choice, Sherry. It crossed my mind, too. But then I'm like, no, it's got to be Alberta. (laughs) It's got to be Alberta. I mean, just given the fact where we are today with Alberta, (laughs) where we have to send in the Red Cross to Alberta right now. Yeah, emergency (laughs) rescue. uh, Yeah, so Alberta... Took them until 1987 before they put in seatbelt laws. And uh, at that time, only 28% of Albertans used seatbelts at that time. Goodness. So, uh, and, you know, again, people made lots of fusses. And can you guess what people tried to do to avoid um, the seatbelt laws? Um, Besides just not wearing them, did they... Oh, wait, wait, wait. I know one. They would buy old cars that didn't have seatbelts installed in them. They they could do that, yes. I um, was thinking but, uh, they would try and, like, hide it. So they would put it over, like, one shoulder or something to make it look like they had the seatbelt on, but really they didn't. Good good guess. Um, but at that time, um, people were, uh, there were uh, as part of the law, people could ask for a medical exemption. Oh, my God. Oh, it's crushing my chest. Oh. <laughs> people were getting medical exemptions to avoid no. seatbelts, claiming that uh, they would uh, suffer from health problems because the seatbelt would irritate them. So, Like skin abrasions? Is that the level of health problems we're talking about? Sure, <laughs> sure. Who knows? <laughs> Whatever the excuse is, you know, the, these seatbelts would irritate my health condition somehow, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Give me a rash or something. Oh, so, gosh. Um, so people flock to get medical exemptions to avoid <laughs> having to wear seatbelts. So not too far from where we are no, today. <laughs> no, disturbingly close. Wow. So. 1978, oh, sorry, 1987. Oh, Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, sorry to the listeners in Alberta, but... <laughs> we still love you. We want what? you to join us. <laughs> join us. One of us. One of us. <laughs> it's interesting, this discussion of seatbelts and smoking. I'm going to use it as a transition to discuss something I encountered called the ratchet effect, wherein... After a crisis has ended, the measures that a government puts in place to handle that crisis, they never fully roll them back. And so we're always changed moving forward. Seatbelts and smoking laws, of course, being easy prime examples. But in terms of pandemic measures, what do you guys think? Is there going to be much holdover after COVID does eventually subside? We didn't have much holdover after the flu pandemic. And we had multiple flu pandemics in history. Um, so mass mandates went to effect and then disappeared. So I feel like that's probably going to still happen. Mm-hmm. That's my guess. But I think when it comes to like vaccine mandates, I, I mean, those stuck around. As Sherry, you already mentioned, I mean, everyone needs some standard, you know, MMR vaccines, Mm-hmm. Um, things like that that are just standard that we just adopted. Not every province has the... So I mentioned specifically Ontario because not every province has vaccine mandates for schools. 
Um, oh, is it Alberta? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we're really yeah. picking on Alberta. I'm sure you feel bad. I was going to say, yeah, it's Alberta. <laughs> oh, yeah. and I totally guessed two. I think but, there's oh, three man. provinces, and I can't necessarily remember the others. I think one is uh, Saskatchewan, hmm. Alberta, and there was one other. I can't remember. Hmm. But I think it I think it was in that same geographical area, but I can't remember totally. So definitely Alberta was on that list. I so basically the areas where we currently have the highest COVID spikes <laughs> and the Red Cross needs to go in to save people. Do you think the do you think maybe there's a correlation there of like not having to vaccinate your children <laughs> for schools for so many years and then all of a sudden now you need a, a vaccine to save your life? from a pandemic and they're just not getting it there could be a there could be a correlation there yeah it definitely seems possible <laughs> they they are, were anti seatbelts anti-vax anti-mask i don't know <laughs> maybe it's just part of their uh the the culture there mm-hmm. in the water i when i was thinking about this question i I very quickly decided that I didn't like the framing of it. And the framing is that it's always about stolen freedoms and new obligations. And that's the type of ratcheting up of government control that we're talking about. I started to think about it in the opposite way, that it it isn't always a bad thing, the holdovers, you know, think again, seatbelt laws and smoking, but also think about the wake-up call that we had for government regulations surrounding long-term care homes. You know, an industry that was left to govern itself for far too long and had way too lax of standards. And now we recognize that that's a problem. Um, But the classic counterexample of that that I have to bring up that uh, the article I examined also brought up was the income tax example. Around World War I, we implemented income tax in order to fund the war efforts and stimulate the economy. And it just never went away. And now it's more robust than ever. But another prominent example, one that I think you guys might be able to weigh in on, is uh, think of what happened in the wake of 9-11. All the added surveillance in airports and the Patriot Act, the ability of the police to tap your phone for suspecting you of terrorism, not actually being a terrorist. What do you guys think about these types of holdovers, you know, the the not-so-good holdovers? I don't know. It's kind of like... Is there a surveillance chip in my vaccine? I don't care because I don't really do anything that would, you know, cause for concern. Why do I care? Like my phone has a chip in it, right? So the government's, who cares for me? I I have no, you know, horse in this race. I've got nothing to hide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that's the, um, you know, civ- civil liberties activists would uh, complain that, well, now you're just opening the door mm-hmm. for, you know, further encroachment into our lives. If, if, you know, you might not be doing anything illegal, but now you're just essentially giving the government free reign to snoop into, I don't know, your private life. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know, eventually find things that, they don't like, and I don't know, <laughs> you, you know, you're, you're going down this huge rabbit hole of eventually the government will come and arrest you for whatever, In- thinking that, uh, um, I don't know, 
gay rights is the right thing to do, right? Well, yeah, that's the, you know, I, I hate to be the guy who's, again, taking the exaggerated approach to this, but uh, that is the fear of letting government go too far with surveillances. One day you wake up and you've got a, a camera posted in the corner of your of your apartment and it's filming everything you do and they're policing what you say in the privacy of your own home. And if it's some kind of anti-government sentiment, well, you better look out because people with the black bags are going to come and take you away. Okay. You make a good point. I remember last week we talked about, or maybe it was a couple weeks ago because we talked about the election, not last week, but whatever week it was, the podcast before when we talked about the Chinese Uyghurs and how they're um, monitoring all of those Uyghurs and, you know, uh, using it to sort of police them. Uh, You make a good point. Yeah. It's, you got to consider what type of government we have and Mm. how close to an authoritarian system we have in Canada. It's completely different than, than a nation that's pretending to be communist, but is really state totalitarian and is actually looking to, to weed out anyone who criticizes the grand narrative of the state. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm personally in favor of, I mean, more protection rights for individuals mm-hmm. uh, in terms of privacy and, and things like the Patriot Act. I feel like, I mean, those were developed clearly under a, a situation where uh, the U S government was essentially incentivized uh, to put in measures that would calm the masses. Calm, mm-hmm. I mean, people. There was so much fear in the U.S. that uh, the U.S. government took advantage of that and was able to uh, implement a lot of uh, new laws and uh, procedures to basically track people mm-hmm. um, and uh, get you know basically potentially yeah potentially violate like uh, you know. Uh, people's uh, uh, privacy in in the attempt to you know protect their citizens from future terror attacks. Yeah, and it absolutely also opens the door for discrimination. I mean, think about who gets targeted for anti-terrorist surveillance. It's always the Muslim communities. It's always a certain demographic of people who is receiving all of this undue surveillance and undue reporting on them. Yeah. And really, in reality, especially in today's world, it's not the Muslim community that's the greatest threat. It's white supremacists, mm. right? So They're the ones who deserve to have their phones tapped. I totally agree with you. And to have their their congregations broken up and you know put down, they're unreasonable. But are they going to? I'm skeptical <sighs> that they are. <laughs> and it's it's hard for me to understand why. Like, is racism just that hard-coded to the power structures that are ruling our country? Yep. (laughs) In a word. (laughs) Was Was it meant to be rhetorical? (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) That's a depressing thought, if that that is just a truism. So, I mean, um, I don't think in Canada we had anything like the Patriot Act. No, I recall. I don't believe so, but I think there was a probably a ratcheting up of security measures in the wake of 9/11 in Canada as well. I'm I'm struggling to recall what exactly we did. I'm sure airport security tightened. I think that was across the board. Um, 
And yeah, as I say, I, I can't think of specific examples beyond that. Yeah. But maybe for your example with, with like airport security, I mean, definitely because of 9-11, things are much more <laughs> strict when in terms of you know, what you can bring on board, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, also the full so there's body this ratcheting. as well. I think that's what right. was brought in after 9-11. Yeah. There were a lot of concerns about, you know, the full body scan. Essentially, I mean, you're you're naked <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. To, yeah. to the operator. But uh, but I don't know. For me, like, I prefer the full body scan because it just, it was a lot quicker. <laughs> I didn't have to, like, deal with any pat down. So, like, sure, you can have a look. <laughs> but... <laughs> I love that that's all you had to say, and I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> Viewer yeah, for me, to, for, for me, it was convenience <laughs> to be like, uh, I am willing to show off my naked body for the convenience. <laughs> it was quicker. I didn't have to, like, get a pat down. I'd be willing to. I mean, yeah. Nobody really wants to see me naked, so go for it. <laughs> but I could, just, I could just imagine. I mean, the operator must be, like, hating themselves because they're just like constantly looking at mm. naked bodies it's like oh god not again <laughs> so do you think that's fair do you think that's that's the right way to handle that particular situation of anti-terrorism and protecting citizens who are boarding a flight do you think it's the right move I, to be honest i don't know how to define what's right <laughs> or wrong when it comes to airport security um yes there's probably an element of theatrics like security theatrics in here to make everyone feel safe Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but i don't know as someone who does you know used to travel a lot uh before the pandemic would i rather have or have or have the security or not have the security i probably would say i rather have the security you would rather just yeah I kind of agree with you, especially if you liken it back to to the pandemic. It's kind of like it's not a problem until it is a problem. So all the security, it feels unnecessary. It feels intrusive until there's a hostile takeover of your plane, until you get Mm -hmm. sick with COVID and now you're in a desperate situation. Yeah. Although I must say, now you're making me think back uh, to my traveling days and um, traveling uh through australia domestically was probably the most easy um easy process i've ever encountered like when i was traveling domestically in australia they never even looked at my passport (laughs) (laughs) i literally typed my name into the little computer to print my ticket it printed my ticket i didn't my passport stayed in my pocket the entire time. <laughs> I went through security, basically threw my bags in, you know, walked through the scanner. It was like so easygoing. It was, it was just like, it was, it was nice feeling like, you know, there's no major concern, everything, yeah. you know. Talk about being nothing's given, high stakes. Given the benefit of the doubt, they put all their trust in you. Yeah. So, I don't know. It was, it, it was nice not have, feeling like, there's anything to worry about. There's no, I wasn't like apprehensive about going through security and make remembering, did I, you know, put, did I leave my liquids in my bags and things like that? There's, there's none of that. It was just, yeah, whatever. (laughs) We'll we'll have a quick look and, you know, we trust you that 
you you are the person that printed your boarding pass and you are the person <laughs> that's going into the boarding. This isn't some elaborate forgery. You are who you say you are. Yeah, yeah. So it was nice, though. It was nice having a little bit more scaled-down security. Mm-hmm. But I just don't trust... I mean, if I'm traveling to the U.S., I just don't trust any of them. <laughs> you can't trust the Americans. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, like, it matters where you are as well. Like, if we were traveling domestically in Canada... I think having lax security would be okay. Like, we don't have very many threats in Canada um, in terms of buildings you want to hit. <laughs> uh, like we have maybe one that's tall enough. But, like, yeah, if you, I don't, I wouldn't trust the States to be even traveling domestically in the States. So you're thinking, like, within Canada travel, we could stand to relax a little bit, but international travel be a little bit tighter? Yeah, I think so. We we already are more relaxed in Canada when it comes to security. See, I, I yeah, remember when one we... year I was traveling domestically and I forgot that I had packed a bunch of my liquids into my carry-on because I had a weight issue of like I would have to pay more for my bag. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I forgot and packed some liquids in my carry-on and, and just it was a mess at the security and oh, it was awful. So I, yeah, I feel like we're so strict. <laughs> no, and if if I was traveling the U.S., I've been. Uh, sometimes you get randomly selected for secondary screening oh. for the U.S. Mm. And those U.S. secondary screenings, they check everything. <laughs> They're very thorough. <laughs> yes. Were yeah. you? So you were selected, then I'm assuming. Yep, I've been selected twice for secondary screening before oh. so, in my entire life. They're very. Very detailed. <laughs> Let it Were go they through here. Gentle with you, Kenny. <laughs> uh, oh no, they they went just like they go through your bags, like oh, everything, they, like they like you know check every crevice, and it's like oh, there's nothing in there. <laughs> like this, <laughs> when you look at the X-ray, there's absolutely nothing. So it's kind of like what you hear about uh, border patrol. If you give them reason to be suspicious, they'll rip the seats of your car out and everything. There's um. Just one more angle I wanted to take on this, uh, you know, just to round out my spiel. What do you guys think about changes to the economy and financial sector during a crisis like the pandemic? I remember one of the big complaints was that uh, smaller businesses were not allowed to sell non-essential items, but the big box stores like the Walmarts and such were allowed to continue selling non-essential items. Do you see that as a problem? Uh, I think it's a problem, but I don't think it's a long-term problem, right? I, I feel like, it, it, to me, definitely there's an issue of fairness uh, during, in the, during the peak of the pandemic. Um, but I think as of today, right, you know, again, with vaccine mandates, uh, vaccine passports, there's really no reason why any business should be closed mm-hmm. right now. I mean, every business could be open at this point. And they could stay open if people continue to follow, you know, local public guidelines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You think we're past the lockdowns? We won't see another one? I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we are. We in Ontario are past it. Mm-hmm. Our folks in Alberta, I'm a little uncertain about. <laughs> I inserting a little personal story here. So this morning, and I thought this was very um, 
very funny to happen to me today when we were going to talk about mask mandates. I was going into Costco and this lady comes running out of, so like Costco has two and two sort of openings, one for people going in, one for people going out right beside each other. She comes out of the outside as an employee and starts yelling like, sir, sir, put on your mask, put on your mask. And, um, and he was like, he just kept walking. He had this sort of very defensive, angry air about him. He was like, I have an exemption. And she was like, okay, well, we'll get a manager and we'll have to talk about that then before you go in. And he pulls a mask out of his pocket and he's like, fine, I'll wear it, whatever. <laughs> and so, oh my and so gosh. I, I, turned, I turned to the woman and I was like, so much for a medical exemption. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you cared about your medical exemption, you would talk to a manager about it. And he was with somebody as well. So it's not like, like if you, you know, he could have just let that person go in and do the shopping and whatever. Why does he have to go in as well? But yeah. it I still had the same. I had the same kind of experience at a bank. Uh, when I was leaving uh, a bank, uh, someone walked in without a mask and they were stopped and he he basically said, oh, I have a medical exception. And I'm thinking in my head, um, when I think about medical exceptions, I'm thinking someone has to wear an oxygen tank mm. or carry an oxygen tank with them, uh, which is why they can't put a mask on, things like that. He seemed perfectly fine <laughs> walking around without, you know, huffing and puffing. And I'm almost certain if you put on a mask, he's not going to... Peel over immediately and pass crumple on. before you. <laughs> exactly. He was a you know a big healthy you know grown up. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't like he. Uh, not that you know we can judge anyone's disability uh, visibly, but what is the probability that he actually does have a, <laughs> a legitimate medical exception? It seems like a pretty low probability because he seems like the, individ- the type of person who would start yelling and arguing mm. if he was denied service. <laughs> it was a Karen. <laughs> it was a Karen. Yes, exactly. I saw a Karen he this was... morning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. They are out there. Yeah. I just, I can't believe it's still happening that people are like, we're, you know, we're a year and a half or more than that mm-hmm. into wearing masks. And I, in my research, I, I was finding, like, to get a mask or, I guess, vaccine exemption, it's very rare. And I think mask exemptions as well, because, like, in order, you know, wearing a mask, they've done studies, and it doesn't have any effect on your lung capacity. Um, it doesn't elite, it doesn't aggravate any pre-existing conditions and stuff like that and to not and to have a a ma- uh, sorry a vaccine mandate uh to have an exemption against that i think it was that you had to have uh some sort of like allergic reaction or something very severe reaction after your first shot or have a condition that would have a severe reaction to it and it was like minuscule the percentage of people so these people who walk around and say they have a medical exemption are just trying to circumvent the system because yeah. they want to exactly i could just tell like the seatbelt yeah <laughs> just like the seatbelt yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. medical ex- exceptions mm-hmm. and they'll feel great about it until they get in the car crash and go flying through the windshield mm-hmm. there's one more thing uh something that might have a more long-term financial impact. And that's uh, 
all these economic stimulus packages that the government keeps talking about. And I, I think it's something to keep an eye on is where the money is going for these stimulus packages. I know that uh, National Child Care is a, a pet project of the Liberals, so they might be trying to run that through in the name of the pandemic. Uh, the Conservatives are accusing the Liberals of pumping up the green industry in the wake in, in the name of the pandemic. You know, these are changes that could have a more lasting impact. You know, just the flow mm-hmm. of money, and it, it almost isn't 100% to do with the pandemic. It's just the pandemic is an opportunity to run an agenda more aggressively. I feel like, I mean, pandemic has changed the world and we need to adapt to it. So whether it's the way we work and that still doesn't, um, you know, because we have a pandemic, climate change is still happening. So we still need to (laughs) invest into... Uh, green infrastructure. Um, so since the cost of money is low right now, why not? <laughs> Interest rates are low. Let's uh, let's put our capital to good use mm-hmm. to prepare us for our future economy. And yeah, those, those two initiatives, you know, childcare and green initiatives that I mentioned are noble endeavors. But I noticed how political it is just because my own favorite initiative, the basic income, has nary received a peep, even though it was essentially proven successful through the CERB program, but no talk of it and no money directed towards policy initiatives for it. It There is a political element to where money gets spent during a crisis. It's because it's poor branding. It must be. Citizens' dividend. <laughs> Freedom. Freedom dividend. Freedom dividend. Freedom. See, I've already... <laughs> You're you not already good messed at the it up. <laughs> no, I've never been good at marketing. Thank you. I need you guys to be my marketing team. It's freedom yeah. dividends. <laughs> so, in sum, I I definitely disagree with uh, Matthew Lau of the Financial Post was the one who wrote the article that I looked at, and he actually titled his art article "The Government Control Virus," and that it was going to be more threatening than the pandemic itself, and. It got me thinking because I looked at some of the examples he brought up, such as 9-11 Patriot Act and stuff like that. And I I feel it's a different beast entirely than the type of healthcare measures we've put in place for the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to me, I mean, some of these mandates could lead to positive outcomes for the future. I mean, if I'm, it, can you imagine having a future where we have the infrastructure to um, address the next pandemic. Mm -hmm. I think that would be amazing. Like we have a framework of how to, um, you know, uh, screen people in the future. Uh, You know, once we hear about the the next virus that comes out of, you know, Wuhan, China, we'll know exactly how to react, Mm -hmm. how to uh, prevent, you know, uh, these uh, unnecessary deaths. I mean, Hopefully, we have learned our lesson from this pandemic to be able to prepare us for the next one. Have we? Sherry's skeptical. <laughs> Sherry's I, skeptical. I don't know. I don't think we've learned our lesson necessarily, but I hope we've learned some things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I hope. I, I don't know. You say that, and then, you know, 100 years from now, they're going to react the same way when the pandemic hits. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But I'll be dead, so I don't care. <laughs> 
So one thing I want to uh, mention when you talked about um, uh, kind of funding uh, for uh, COVID measures, um, do you guys know where Alabama is planning on spending some of their COVID dollars? I can't wait. <laughs> they would like to spend some of that money on building new prisons because that's oh, yeah, more important I heard about than... That. Than protecting their current population from the virus. <laughs> uh, do they have any? America, why, mm. why are you the way that you are? Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did hear about that. That's so, so sad. That's political. Plain and simple. A part of me was like, oh, that's, that's rough. But then another part of me knows exactly what kind of conditions are in those jails and that people are actually dying because there's no air conditioning. and mm. <sighs> So it's kind of like, oh, they do need, like, better facilities, but they don't need to be doing that during a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to have priorities. Anyways, but, you know, the uh, I'm going to read you a tweet here. Um because of vaccine mandates, we are losing teachers who don't believe in science. We're losing health workers who don't believe in medicine. And we're also losing police who don't believe in public safety. So as they leave the workforce, maybe we'll get a better set of uh, hey, uh, people working for us. I think, so, I think I like you're that. being optimistic <laughs> there because teachers still can teach without getting a vaccine. Don't rain on it, Sherry. I need this. <laughs> I need to. They're allowing options. (laughs) I need to think that some of the bad apples are self-selecting out. That was such a positive note. I would love that. That would be awesome. (laughs) Let's pretend the world has rainforests, unicorns, and rainbows. Sorry, I got mixed up there. Unicorns and rainbows and sunshine. (laughs) Yeah. Just let me I mean, glimpse the, it, Sherry. There are definitely <laughs> there are definitely some people that are you know leaving the workforce because they don't want to get vaccinated. I know like United Airlines is about to fire like 500 flight attendants, mm-hmm. um, and you know people make such a big deal. Oh my God, 500 you know, flight attendants! That's like what 005 percent <laughs> of their <laughs> workforce. Like it's nothing, and you know I I, I think. A lot of people, a lot of people who uh, enjoy what they do for work and also want to continue working, are probably going to get the mm-hmm. vaccine. And hey, if mm-hmm. if they do want to, you know, take their permanent leave, then maybe some new, young, idealistic, fully vaccinated flight attendants will step in and take their place. Yeah, and it's a choice. No one's forcing anything. If you want to stay unvaccinated and maybe find a different line of work. You're allowed to do that. The government's not going to stop you. The government's not going to force you to get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So just it's your choice. Make your choice. I know my choice. Give me all the vaccines. <laughs> I know. Rory, you said earlier that like we're now addicted to drugs. And I kind of now believe that with 
the COVID vaccine. I want more. Please <laughs> give me more shots. <laughs> Where is my booster shot? <laughs> How much Pfizer can we stick in me? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you, you're feeling a craving? You need your fix? craving, yeah. No, Sherry, I want to collect them all. <laughs> I, want, yeah. I want one of each. I've got Moderna and Pfizer, so now I'm looking for AstraZeneca. I'd like to source some Johnson & Johnson, maybe a little Sputnik. <laughs> <laughs> well just imagine what kind of microchips you'd find in that one though oh the best ones <laughs> you'll be speaking russian <laughs> <laughs> yeah or it won't matter that i have the microchip because i can't speak russian and they may not understand me who knows i'm hoping there is light at the end of this tunnel that you know we've seen the waves of you know, enacting these public measures and people get over it eventually. And I'm hoping that's kind of what we'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm being optimistic. I'm, I'm hoping, you know, people just get their vaccines. The, the crazies will continue to shout into the void and impact nothing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and hopefully things will get back to normal or at least as normal as it can mm-hmm. uh, for now. So it, it seems to be working. The more inconvenient we make it for people to not be vaccinated, the more they see the value of being good citizens. I feel like things are kind of back to normal. I mean, I've gone to restaurants and I'm already looking at what movies I want to watch in the theaters. I'm at the gym regularly now. So How are you? How's that? It's great because everyone's vaccinated. At the gym. <laughs> You could still catch common cold from these peoples. Yeah, but I, I feel like more safe now at the gym. Like previously, it, I didn't really, I felt like I couldn't really trust everyone there. But mm. just knowing that everyone around me who's working out has done the responsible thing gives me a sense of comfort. I still avoid them. But. <laughs> you would avoid them anyways, pandemic or no. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so thanks for listening, everyone. So talk to you guys next time. See you next time. Till next time. I had a thought on this. Specifically, I was reading... What, was that a hold up a moment? <laughs> Sherry has something to say. No, I thought mine was a really good segue, but you can use okay. it if you want. <laughs> Go ahead, Rory. <laughs> I mean, if you're more logically following Kenny, that that's fine. We can re-script this. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>